0: Welcome to the Eagle Naz Church Podcast. My name is Bree, and thanks for joining us. We hope that the next 30 minutes helps you grow in your relationship with Jesus, and that you will see how God wants to move in your life. Thanks for listening. Several years ago, my wife and I, Pauline, made an important decision that was a life-changing one for us. Uh, we, we had been attending Eagle Naz for a couple of years, and maybe like some of you, we'd just kind of been drifting in and drifting out. You know, we'd come on Sunday morning, and it was awesome, and we loved Pastor Tim's sermons, and we loved the worship, and we loved the spirit, and the atmosphere of this place, and, and uh, the music, all of that. But we weren't really connecting with anybody. We were coming in and going out and coming in and going out, and just... Enjoying it, but no connection. So then we heard about these life group things, and so we decided we're gonna we're gonna join a life group. And it was one of the best decisions we've we've ever made. Uh, we have met and connected with some of the sweetest, nicest people on the planet, and these folks are, have become not only just really close friends, spiritual brothers and sisters, but almost like family. And like most life groups, we we meet almost every week and uh, we study together and we pray together and we learn and we discuss and we debate and we argue and sometimes we just confuse each other and then we get back to the Word and get all straightened out. It's just been so good and we've laughed and we've wept together we've encouraged each other, we've blessed each other, we've, we've carried one, another burden, one another's burdens, and, and best of all, most of all, we eat together every single time. In fact, I, I think this probably breaks the bylaws of the life group manual, but sometimes we skip life group and go out to a restaurant, and we eat, and we talk, and we love each other, and we're learning to do life Together, but not a single life group meeting I can remember where there hasn't been a table full of food. And it's not the kind of sit-down meal you know, you're talking about. It's snacks and stuff. But on the table, there's almost always bread and cheese and crackers and fruit and popcorn and chocolate things, several chocolate things, chips and dip, and peanut M&M's. Praise God for peanut M&M's. Do you understand me? Peanut M&M's. It's so fun it's, it, to be together and eating. It kind of reminds me of uh, the Christian elementary school I attended. Uh, it was Tuesday morning, show and tell. We were supposed to bring something that represented our spiritual heritage and our spiritual roots, And and so my my friend uh, John got up first, and he said, my name's Jonathan, I'm Catholic, and and this is a crucifix. And he held it up. He said, this represents my spiritual heritage. And then my friend Josh got up, and he said, my name's Joshua, uh, I'm Jewish, and this is the Star of David. It represents my spiritual roots. And then it was my turn. I got up, I said, I'm Jerry, I'm Nazarene, and this is a casserole. You know what I'm talking about? It's all about the food. Do you realize how biblical eating together is? It's like the Bible talks about the Last Supper and the marriage supper of the Lamb and breaking bread together and the fruit of the vine and that whole thing about Eve sharing her apple with Adam. You know, what's that all about? I finally figured out why they call it life groups. L-I-F-E living in fellowship, eating, life groups. And so we're learning to do life together and it's been fantastic and I'd encourage you to get involved in a life group. But a few years ago, something began to happen in our group that no one had anticipated, no one had expected, none of us saw this coming, but because of the events in the lives and families of our life group, we not only were learning to do life together, we began to learn how to do death together. Last year in March, Linda's mom passed away. And and we kind of walked with her through that journey. And then a little less than a year ago, in fact, it was September 6th, on our anniversary, Judy's nephew... Passed away. He was a young man in his mid-40s, been battling cancer, brain cancer for four, four and a half years. It just been an awful struggle, and he passed away. And we kind of walked through that in our life group with Judy and her family. And then six months ago on March 1st, Gail's mother passed away. And again, lots of prayer support, lots of encouragement, lots of being together. And Several of us were able to even attend the funeral in Weezer. And then last month, Rick's dad passed away over there on the Oregon coast. And as I I was processing this and thinking about it, I realized that since joining this life group, I've, I've performed the funeral service for Pauline's mother, for my mother, for my dad's brother, my Uncle Chuck, and for Chuck's wife, my Aunt Betty. And then just four days ago, I got the word that my cousin had passed away. We really are learning to do death together. And I I know what you're thinking. I can see it on your faces. You're saying, I am so thankful I'm not part of that life group. (laughs) This is horrible. You know, you're, you're planning to stay as far away from us... As you possibly can. This may be the deadliest life group on the planet. I don't know. But this leads us to the scripture that I want us to look at this morning. It's a very familiar scripture in the 23rd Psalm. It's that one about the valley and the shadow and the shepherd. Remember, David wrote the 23rd Psalm, he wrote this verse, and he was a shepherd. He tended his father's sheep. His job description was to lead them to safe pasture and to make sure they all had enough food and water and that they were protected from danger and predators. And and he was to care for them, lovingly care for them and treat their wounds and keep them safe and provide for them. And one of his jobs every year was to take his father's sheep to higher ground when the provisions down below had run out I I want you to imagine with me put yourself in David's dusty shepherd sandals this morning it's summer in ancient Israel it's time to move the sheep to higher ground The, the, the springtime grazing has left the pastures down here in the valley below barren all grazed out not enough food for the sheep and so the shepherd needs to lead his sheep his flock to the mountains to the deep grass high up on the hillsides and it's not an easy trip I mean the shepherd and the sheep will be gone not for weeks but probably months they may be there clear into autumn until the grass up there is gone and the chill air drives them back down to the valleys but right now It's time to lead the sheep to high ground up the mountain. It's not an easy trip, but it's the best thing for the sheep. It's interesting, in my studies, I learned that not all shepherds made this trip. Not all shepherds took their sheep to the higher ground because, like I said, it's dangerous It's a long trip. There are poisonous plants along the way that the shepherd has to keep the sheep away from. There are wild animals that can attack the flock. In fact, you remember David killed a bear and a lion when he was protecting his father's sheep. And the the trails are narrow and the valleys are dark and it's difficult. And some shepherds choose the security of the barren pasture below. Not because it's best for the sheep, but because it's easier for the shepherd. But the good shepherd, the good shepherd heads up to the high ground. He knows the path. He's he's traveled this road before. He's prepared. He has his staff in his hand and his rod attached to his belt. And with the staff, he will nudge and guide the flock along the way. And with his rod, he will protect and Lead them, he'll he'll lead them to the mountains, to the high ground, to the rich pasture. The author of the 23rd Psalm, David, understood this annual pilgrimage. And long before he led Israel as king, he led his father's sheep. And I believe that it was his time as a shepherd, taking care of his father's flock that he was inspired to write one of the most important, significant verses in the Bible. And you saw it a minute ago. I want you to read it with me right now. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And what David did for his flock 3,000 years ago, someday, our shepherd is going to do the same for us. When the pasture is bare down here, when it's time to move on, he will lead us up there, out of the flatlands, up the path to the mountain. A modern-day shepherd penned this entry in his journal, he said, every mountain has its valleys. The sides are scarred by deep ravines and gulches and draws. The best route to the high ground is always through the dark valleys. Any sheepman familiar with the high country knows this. He leads his flock gently and persistently up the paths that wind through the dark valleys to the rich mountain grasses above. And someday, our shepherd will do the same for us. Years ago when I pastored in Baker City, Oregon, our church office would uh, periodically get a call from a nearby funeral home. You see, the the funeral director of the only funeral home in Baker City, Oregon was a member of our church. Baker City is small town USA. It's a wonderful, beautiful little city nestled in the high desert valley between the Eagle Cap and the Elkhorn Mountains. small town everybody knows everybody it's one of those towns it's like in Baker City nobody ever uses their blinker because everybody already knows where you're going it's that kinda town. it's the place where, where where one cold December night I accidentally left our porch light on and we won third place in the Christmas lighting contest he was awesome. We got our name in the paper, gift certificate to Dairy Queen. He was awesome. But when Dennis, the funeral home director, was uh, helping a family that didn't have a pastor or wasn't connected to a church, I would get a phone call. Dennis called one day, and a man had identified the body of a homeless person as his brother, his long-lost brother that he hadn't seen for years. And he wanted a small graveside service up there in the, on the hillside in the cemetery in Baker City. And, and so Dennis called me and he said, Jerry, could you meet with this guy? He wants a small graveside. And, and he said, it may be just the two of you. I don't know of any other family. I don't know anybody else who would be coming. But so I, I met with the brother of the deceased. And, and the first thing he said to me, he said, I, there's a verse I want you to read by the graveside. It's really important to me. And, and uh, uh, just say a few words about it if you would. And, and it was this verse. The verse about the valley and the shadow and the shepherd. The one that said, I will fear no evil for you are with me. And I asked him, I said, now what led you to this verse? Why why did you pick this verse? And I'll never forget what he said. He said, "I, I just desperately hope that though my brother lived his life alone, that he didn't die alone. And for that assurance, he turned to this verse. Because we all long to know, we all hunger to know that when our time comes, we won't be alone you've probably thought the same thing if you've ever attended a memorial service and you've heard the words. Or if you've walked through a cemetery, you've you've read them. They're they're quoted at the gravesides of homeless people and they're engraved on the tombstones of uh, of kings. And, And folks who don't know anything in the Bible somehow know about this verse. And folks who have never memorized the scripture somehow know something about this verse, about the valley the shadow, and the shepherd. And you wonder, why are these words so treasured? Why, why do we remember and these familiar, beloved words? And I think it's because when David wrote this verse and wrote this psalm, he's reminding us of two eternal, important truths that can help us when we think about death. They can help us when someone we know dies. They can help us when we ponder our own passing. and They can help us when we're wrestling with the fear of death. The, the, the first truth that David introduces us to is that we all have to face it. There are no exceptions. I, I checked the mortality rate recently. It's still a hundred percent. You're gonna die. I didn't hear any amens, okay? I'm going to die too. We all have to face it. In a world with missed appointments, this is one appointment none of us will ever miss. Hebrews 9.27, everyone must die and after that be judged. Oh man, I'd love to change that verse. Just a tweak here or there, just a word or two could make a huge difference. But what if it said, nearly everyone must die? Like you're telling me I got a chance. Or or everyone but me, and maybe four or five of you, must die. Or everyone who forgets to eat right and take their vitamins must die. Or anyone who can say, I don't drink, and I don't chew, and I don't go with girls who do doesn't have to die. But that's not what it says. That's, that's not God's words here. He said everyone dies, even those who eat right. And take vitamins. And get your 10,000 steps in every day. Now, Now, I know I could have gone all day long without reminding you of this. We don't like to talk about this stuff. We avoid this topic at all costs. In fact, I can almost guarantee you that if you had known what I was going to preach about today, you would not be sitting where you're sitting. You would have found something else to do. But the reality is, the wisest man who ever lived urges us not to ignore it, but to hit it face on. Solomon said, we all must die, and everyone living should think about it. Now, Solomon isn't promoting a morbid obsession with death. He doesn't want you running around with a dark cloud over your head, just, oh, I'm going to die, I'm going to die, I'm going to die. Not at all. He's reminding us to be honest about the inevitable. He's reminding us that to live wisely, we need to have thought about this. Moses gave us that advice, and the only psalm Carrying his name, he prayed, teach us how short our lives really are so that we may be wise. If we are to live wisely, we have to accept the reality of death. Part of wisdom is to remember that life is short. And yes, living right and eating right and exercise may buy us a few more heartbeats. And, and modern medical medicine may grant us a few more weeks and months, maybe a year. But in the end, there is an end for you and for me. And the best way to face life and live wisely is to be honest about death, like David was. You know, he may have killed the giant Goliath, but he had no illusions about escaping the giant of death. And although his first reminder, we all have to face it, Sobers us. Hopefully his second reminder encourages us because he said we don't have to face death alone. I want you to notice a subtle but significant shift in in the 23rd Psalm at this time. The first three verses, David is talking to us about God. He's describing for us his relationship with the good shepherd. The first three verses of Psalms 23, he says, he's telling you and me. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. He leads me beside still waters. He he sends me to the green pastures. He leads me through the paths of righteousness. He restores my soul. But then in verse 4, everything changes. David is no longer talking to us about God. In verse 4, he begins to talk directly to God, as if he lifts his face from talking to us to the good shepherd. See, the the poem has become a prayer in verse 4, and he says, you are with me. Your rod, your staff, they comfort me. And and, and the message is subtle, but I think it's important. I think David is saying, don't face death without facing God. Don't even talk about death without talking to him about it. Because he's the only one who can guide you through the valley. He's the only one who can protect and comfort you in your final hours. He's the only one who can take away from you the sting and the fear of death. His presence, his presence alone can guide us through that final journey and his rod and his staff are what hold us steady and show us the way to get safely home and God alone is the only one who can get us home and get us there safely. You know, years Centuries after David wrote the 23rd Psalm, another Bethlehem shepherd shared these words with us. He said, there are many rooms in my father's house. I would not tell you this if it were not true. I'm, I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you may be where I am what an incredible promise I will come back it's interesting to me that that, that, you know Jesus has got a lot to do he may send missionaries to convert us and he may send angels to protect us and teachers to guide us and singers to inspire us and physicians to heal us but he sends no one to bring you home He reserves that responsibility for himself. I will come back and take you home. He is your personal shepherd, and he is personally responsible to lead you home. And because he is present, you can say what David said, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. That's the promise. He's with you now. I promise you on the authority of God's word and he will be with you then. And what God said to Moses, he says to you this morning, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. What God said to Jacob, he says to you this morning, I am with you. I'll watch over you wherever you go and I'll bring you back. I'll not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. What God said to Joshua, he says to you this morning, as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never forsake you or leave you. Now, folks, when you're my age, this stuff really means a lot. Some of you young folks, you, you, you probably don't think about this often. But I'm over half done. I, I'm probably over three quarters done. The way things are going, I could be 99% done. This matters to me. This speaks to me. This brings comfort to me. Isaiah 43:2, when he spoke to the nation of Israel, he speaks to you. He says, Don't fear, for I've redeemed you. I've called you by name. You are mine. And when you pass through the waters, I'm going to be with you. Years ago, a chaplain in the army used the 23rd Psalm to encourage the soldiers in his platoon before battle. He he urged them to repeat the opening phrase of the 23rd Psalm, ticking it off one finger at a time. The Lord is my shepherd. Put your hand up. Do that with me. Start with the pinky. Don't mess this up. The Lord is my shepherd. And and he even had him write out the words leading up to each digit. The Lord is my shepherd. And and he, he put special attention on the index finger. He talked about my. The Lord is my shepherd. He's your personal shepherd he he he's on a personal mission to get you safely home and 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 he often wondered if if it had any significance to his soldiers he he had them repeat that whenever they were afraid or they were needed strength or courage to face the enemy and and after a particularly horrific battle the the young chaplain was out there on the battlefield tending to the wounded and and ministering to the dying, and he saw one of the soldiers in his platoon lying there dead, and his left hand was wrapped around the index finger on his right hand. And he knew that that young soldier's last thought was, okay, Jesus, I'm counting on you. You're my shepherd. You've promised to take care of me and to get me safely home. What a precious reminder this morning from the 23rd Psalm. My friend John Steggy was dying in Baker City, Oregon. John was a good man. He'd been a a good friend, a good churchman, a good board member, he was just a a good Baker City guy. And, And John had been battling cancer for several years, but he was coming down to the end and and he didn't want to die in a hospital, so he was in a recliner in his living room, and I'd been called to be there with the family, and, and John was just gone. I mean, he was comatose, completely out, ragged breathing, eyes closed, and, and he was just done. And the family was around, we sang a few of his favorite songs, and we prayed some prayers. And, and I was sitting next to John, and I, I was holding his hand, and I know that the, the hearing is supposed to be the last thing to go, and so I'm quoting to him the 23rd Psalm. You know, the Lord is my shepherd, he leads me beside still waters, and all of that. And I came to the fourth verse, holding John's hand, and, and I said, I said, And yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. And John sat up in that chair. His face was radiant. It was glowing. His eyes as big as saucers. I thought he was looking at me, but then I saw that he was looking beyond me. And he said, there he is. There he is. And then he slumped back in his chair, took one last breath, and he was gone. And I thought... I thought, man, that's the way I want it to be when I go. I don't don't care if I'm conscious or unconscious physically, but I just wanna have that recognition moment of seeing Jesus when he comes to take me. Because he's promised, I've gone to prepare a place for you and I'm gonna come back and take you personally to be with me so that we can be together. Isn't that incredible? I don't know what's going to get me I could have a heart attack I could have a stroke I could get a disease I could have an accident I could tumble downstairs I could choke on a Twinkie at a life group meeting (laughs) I have no idea and neither do you but someday it's going to be our turn and we're going to walk through the valley of the shadow of death and we don't have to be afraid isn't that good news? Now, earlier in the service, we sang that song about, you know, bless the Lord, O my soul, and then we came to that verse where they get real slow and sad and say, you know, when my time's up and I can't breathe anymore and I'm almost dead and blah, 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 blah. We're going to sing that again. <laughs> Such a blessing. But, you know, the bottom line is when that happens to me, I want to be praising and blessing my savior, my shepherd, the one who's holding me in his hand, and he's personally coming back to take me home. Now, when we sing that song, if, if you don't know Jesus as your personal savior, this is your moment. You don't want to mess this up, okay? This is, this is where you open your heart and open your mind and say, I, Lord, I want you to come in and be my shepherd. I need you to be my shepherd. I'm going to die someday and I want to know where I'm going and who's going to get me there. Yeah. And I, I, want, I want you to just say, Lord, I, you know, I may not understand all this stuff, but I want you to forgive my sins and give me a fresh new start and come into my heart and start working with me from the inside out and we'll work on the details as we move forward. But God, I just need you in my life. I know I do. If that's you, you take care of that during this song. And if you already know Jesus, let, just, let this be your testimony. Let this be a, a moment of celebration to say, yeah, Lord, I'm going to die. I get it. But you've got something so much better for me on the other side. And you're going to get me there. And we're going to be together. And the Lord is my shepherd. Amen.